Ever try and listen? To what? The sound of the world. I don't hear anything. That's because you're too loud and you're moving around all the time. Try sitting still. the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 93 and 94, which begin with Enola talking with her mouthful and end with the Mariner throwing shade at a little girl. (laughs) At the very top of this clip, Helen is busy eating. The Mariner is working on carving away the skin of a piece of flesh, and Enola, with her mouthful, is singing a little song to herself. Humming, really. This humming makes the Mariner scowl, and so Enola asks him straight up, you don't like my singing, do you? Like, no. Nobody no, does. Nobody does. Nobody likes your singing. And you're not singing, you're humming. Enola posits that the Mariner does not like her singing because he cannot sing himself. I would argue that you do not need to be a singer in order to appreciate good music. No, I can sing, and I don't enjoy her singing. I think Enola has been raised by Helen. Whenever somebody doesn't like Enola, Helen shields Enola from that dislike by saying, they don't like that because there's something wrong with them. Oh, they're just jealous. Yes. And this isn't the first time that we've seen this kind of logic from Enola. Mm -hmm. And it's... Not true. The Mariner has a couple of good reasons for not liking her singing, one of which he explains in this scene. It's because she never stops and listens to the things around her. And it's also annoying. And he's a loner. He still is adjusting to not being alone. I want to jump right into the book where it says, Gentle singing, the child's, floated on the breeze. And this actually gives lyrics No tune, but lyrics, as it says, There is a girl that lives in the wind, she sang, hanging onto the mast with one arm. In the wind, in the wind, there is. The mariner looked up sharply at the girl. She stopped. Don't you like my singing? He didn't say anything. Helen says you don't like my singing, the child said, because you can't sing yourself. Enola, Helen said. The mariner said to the girl, You ever stop and just listen? Yeah, that definitely reinforces... That Helen has taught her that if somebody doesn't like something about you, it's because there's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. Not that you're annoying or you are drawing all over my things or you are invading my space. Mm -hmm. In this clip, it's very much the same as what's in the book. Enola seems puzzled. She asks, to what? In response to the Mariner saying, ever try and just listen. And in... The movie, he says, the sound of the world. In the book, he says, to the music of Waterworld. Oh, come on. Which is is so so, cheesy. So much more pretentious. And I'm so glad in the movie, it just says, to the sound of the world. Yes. It's equally as old man shakes his fist at Cloud. (laughs) Like, you almost want to shout at him, get with it, old man. It's a survival (laughs) tactic. I'll give you that. You don't want to be constantly singing and drawing attention to yourself. But at the same time, it's... He needs to lighten up. He really does. 
And I mean, that's why Enola has come into his life, is so that he can lighten up. Mm -hmm. At his insistence that she listen to the sound of the world, Enola stops for a moment and she looks around. I can't help but notice that she's still chewing the entire time. So when she says, I don't hear anything, my only response is, well, stop chewing like a cow. She wouldn't right? know what a cow is, but she is chomming all over this stuff. The whole Enola chewing thing, it's just so there. Her mouth is so full of fish, it's overflowing, and she's talking anyways. Mm -hmm. It's gross. It does set the scene well, though. Yeah. It is a good part of set dressing that they haven't eaten in a very, very long time. Nobody right now cares about manners. They just want to eat. And Enola never shuts up. So, of course, she's going to eat and talk at the same time. And Helen's reactions to Enola's... Enola throwing her under the bus? Yes. Are fantastic. Like, she does a little cough thing after she drinks some water. She burps, which is great. She does this sheepish little smile at the Mariner. It's some great acting. Be like, yeah, I did tell her that. Yeah. <laughs> Enola's inability to hear the music of the world is explained by the Mariner saying that she's just too loud. She's constantly moving around. She's fidgeting all the time. She's never sitting still and that she should try it for a change. This interaction really points out the difference in their lifestyles. Mm -hmm. The Mariner is this way because he's a loner. He's out on the water all the time. He's grown accustomed to being alone. He has to be on the defense all the time. Whereas Helen and Enola have grown up in a group of people where there's safety in numbers. They're surrounded by a wall. So their day-to-day -day safety isn't so up in the air and Kids get to be kids mm -hmm. on the atoll. And there were other kids. I don't think she was really included in kid playing. She seems to be an outcast. But that's the world that they lived in. It was raucous and rowdy and people around all the time. So even if she herself were interested in hearing the world, she wouldn't have been able to. Exactly. It's like looking at the stars. If... Enola was going around constantly humming to herself on the atoll. Very few people probably would have noticed because over on this barge, you've got people working a smelter. On this barge, you've got people harvesting food. This barge is the trading barge. There's all this activity yeah. around, all this sound of remedial industry. Yeah, and like <laughs> the night sky thing, in the city, even if you wanted to look at the night sky... You're only going to see so much. Exactly. There's so much light pollution. And even here, where we're on the edge of civilization and out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, we're in the suburbs. We're pretty far out into the suburbs, but we still are in the suburbs. We can see a little bit more stars, but still nothing compared to if you go out to the desert. So their frames of reference are so different from each other. Something that I've been complaining endlessly about up to this point in this movie, is a lack of communication. And finally, we are seeing the two of them have an actual conversation where they're actually learning something about each other. Things are actually starting to turn around a little bit. Yeah. And I like it. I like it a lot. Because they're talking to each other. That's all it takes, is to talk to each other. One of the major hang-ups in the relationship between the Mariner and Helen and Enola have been 
largely due to them not interacting like this. All of their interactions up to this point have been very combative, one side against another. And now they're sitting down largely as equals. They're sharing a meal. It's a very equalizing activity for people. I think the Mariner not seeing Helen and Enola as people have been some of the more major stumbling points for this relationship. I'm trying to think about how this scene moves Helen and Enola in the Mariner's mind from not being humans to being more human. How does this scene move them up along that line? And I think feeding them and providing for them and seeing the change in their demeanor, having been well-fed, yeah, moves them up that line for him to the point where he voluntarily offers them water. Mm -hmm. That's a huge step. And he does say, you know, it's going to rain tomorrow. So there's a reason why he's willing to. But the Mariner from a few days ago wouldn't have done that. Right. He would have hoarded the water even though there was more readily available tomorrow. But nope, he offered them water and they didn't even have to ask for it. I mean, there was I asking, but Helen didn't have to say anything. Right. He just pushed the water over and said, have as much as you want. Before he offers the water, though, he does offer Enola something. Oh, the eyeball. It's so great. Again, his tone is not nasty and mean and sarcastic. It's not like caring and giving or joyful at all. No, it's, it's completely neutral. It's teasing, but in a playful way. Yes. He holds up this milky gray orb in his fingers and offers eyeball. First of all, the creature that we saw on screen, oh. so much larger than that eyeball suggests. Yes. Which tells me that they didn't quite know exactly how big they were going to render out this creature when they shot this scene. Because I would think that if you had a creature that large, its eyeball would be more the size of your fist. Yes, at least. But he takes this eyeball and he starts by squeezing it and drinking the juice out of the eyeball before popping the whole thing in his mouth. That seems a bit showy. I think if you're going to go for maximum gross-out points, that's the way you do it. Right. Really drag out the process of eating the eyeball. I don't think they were grossed out at all. I don't think they really cared. I think Enola was a little put off by it. I don't think Helen was worried that much. Our aversion to certain parts of animals, that is entirely societal. And in their society on the atoll, you eat every part of the animal. Right. Every part of the buffalo, as it were. Yeah, exactly. So you absolutely eat the eyeballs. There's a lot of nutrients in there. I'm sure there are. <laughs> as you mentioned, the mariner notices that Helen is looking at the water jug and he pushes it over to her with his foot. And I like how Helen offers the water to Enola first before taking a drink herself. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely the motherly thing. Mm -hmm. She always makes sure that Enola is taken care of first. And Enola is also with it enough, aware enough of her surroundings and other people in the world to say, no, I'm good. You go ahead. Which is funny because that's not how she behaves about coloring on other people's things. Right. That's the same sort of self-awareness that should tell her, hey, this is somebody else's boat. I shouldn't color on it. Mm -hmm. I like how the Mariner is able to, I guess, feel out 
that it's going to rain tonight. I have to chalk that up to just experience. Yeah, I don't. He knows and can feel the weather. I don't know if he's got a barometer somewhere on board, but you always notice that people with injuries, when the barometric pressure changes, it affects their joints or the injured part of their body. So that's most likely how he knows it's going to rain. He can feel a pressure system moving in, whether it's high or low. A barometer is an analog instrument. Mm -hmm. So I don't know enough about air pressure to tell you how to build one, but it's a classic middle school science experiment. Exactly. Is building a barometer. We don't ever see what kind of mechanisms he has in place for catching rainwater. Oh, I was going to ask. This is a deleted scene, right? This isn't in the theatrical? No, this is in the theatrical. Oh, it is? Okay, because I didn't remember the water portion of this scene. I didn't remember the comment about, hey, it's going to rain tomorrow, so drink up. I didn't remember that. So I kind of assumed that that portion was not in the theatrical release. But I did have a question about, okay, well, what happens then? He sets us up for a scene where it starts to rain and he releases yeah, we never get a to catching see. system. We never get to see what he does to catch rain. All right. Which is a bit of a bummer. That is a bit of a bummer. Because we've seen some cool stuff on this boat. Oh, yeah. And that would have been another very cool thing. What do you want to bet that his rain catching system somehow involves those canopies we saw as he was sailing towards the atoll at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, I like that. And so the conversation turns from water and rain to feet as Enola comments that she wishes that she had feet just like the Mariners. We cut over to Helen and she stifles a spit take. Yes, she does. Her reactions, they're just so great. I find it interesting that the Mariner, he doesn't pull his foot back and try and hide it. No, he doesn't. Earlier in the movie, when he was hanging in the cage and Gregor was like, oh, let me see those webbed feet. He recoiled a little bit, tried to pull his feet away from where Gregor could see them. But here he doesn't. I think that means he's just reached a certain level of comfortableness with these two. I think so. I like that idea that, okay, if we're going to be on this boat for who knows how long, because I'm not sure he actually has a plan on how to get rid of them. Might as well just be here. Mm -hmm. And this is how it is. Something just came to mind that I haven't had to consider before. They've definitely had to watch each other poop. There's no bathroom on this boat. Well, I kind of assume they poop overboard. Yeah. But the boat's big enough that, like, but, you can go somewhere else. But, like, they've definitely, like, turned around and, oh, there's, you know, Helen pooping. There's yeah. the Mariner pooping. They've had to have reached a level of comfortableness with each other. And I'm sure Helen and Enola had an easier time with it because when you live in such close quarters with other people on the atoll... You're going to have to sacrifice privacy. Right. There is no mystery left so to I, Helen and Ella. So I'm sure it was rather surprising for the Mariner. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Do you think the Mariner has a fold-down seat that, oh. that hangs out over the water? If anybody did, he would. Yeah, because that makes so much sense. Like Dive down, find a toilet seat. Yeah. And then rig it up so it's just hanging off the edge. So as you're sailing along, you can leave your troubles behind. (laughs) But speaking of troubles, Enola sees the Mariner's feet as something that would help her be able to swim. I do appreciate that she's 
not judgy or turned off by the unusualness of his feet. Right. She sees the advantage of them. And that's what she points out. Here in the book, right after the mariner pushed the water jug towards Helen, it says, Helen extended her hand tentatively. It's all right. We can? Drink all you want, he said. It's going to rain tonight. Anola was staring at the foot that had pushed the jug toward them. Helen was slightly repulsed by the webbed toes. Her host, like the whalefin he'd slain, was, after all, a mutation. The child, however, was not repulsed, merely interested, fascinated even. I wish I had feet like yours, she said. Anola, Helen said. The mariner just looked at the child. Then maybe I could swim, Anola said. The mariner in this scene, which is not in the book, comments that he's never met a person who couldn't swim before. Yeah, we've talked about how weird it is in this world that she can't swim. And she makes it sound like she's physically incapable of it, when in reality, she just hasn't learned how. Mm -hmm. So I really just don't understand why she can't swim. Like, come on. It's water world. Yeah. It just boggles the mind that Helen hasn't taught her. I think it points to her status as an outcast. Yeah, we discussed a while ago. Yeah, we did. We the did. idea that, oh, maybe there was a swim class that she was excluded from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and Enola says herself, people said I was weird. And the mariner responds by saying, maybe they're right. Yeah. Burn. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they are right. You are weird. I mean, it's not the most savage of takedowns that I've ever seen, but... When you're a 40-some-odd-year-old man going up against a nine-year-old, you kind of know your audience, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good part to cut off because Enola actually gets the last word in this exchange, but the way the clip cuts off, it does let the Mariner end on a bit of a high note before he's dressed down at the beginning of next week. Yeah, considering the feat that he just accomplished, I think he kind of deserves... To have the last word. Oh, you mean almost being eaten alive? Yeah, and providing them days worth of food. Something that we didn't discuss last week is how risky this maneuver is in that he really needs to bank on being swallowed whole because looking at the teeth from the whale fin and how that mouth works, if you don't go completely inside that mouth before it closes, you're dead. Glad you brought that up because... From the way it sounded in the book, I think the creature should have been bigger. Mm. The book and this whole scenario made me think a lot about Pinocchio and the whole being swallowed by the whale thing. Yeah. And that whale is so big that by comparison, Geppetto and the Mariner would be so small that it's not something you bite in half. It's just something you pop in to your mouth. So I I think the creature really ought to have been bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, its size just wasn't proportionally large enough to justify a one bite instead of a nibble. There's got to be a method to it. I'm not sure how you would actually practice this, getting the timing right to slip completely past the teeth into the mouth, but maybe it's something you learn as part of a group of fishermen. You've got a large crew And you're all going after these creatures, and the really good ones are the ones who can do it more than once, and the really bad ones are the ones who do it maybe once, (laughs) if they're lucky. Again, something that probably we should have talked about last week, but a parallel to something in modern media is the Mandalorian 
does this similar maneuver with... Oh, the crate dragon. Yes, where he allows himself to be swallowed <laughs> so that he can then kill the creature by bursting out of the creature. Oh, that poor Bantha covered in explosives that got yes. swallowed with him. <laughs> On that note, I think this is a good point for us to take a rest for this week, put a pin in the situation. Come back next time when Enola will get the last word in this exchange. The Mariner will play some smooth jazz and Helen will pass along a drawing. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 47. We'll see you next time. Music